I picked a show that doesn't actually have a theme song, so I guess you can drop in whatever you want this week. Maybe a little uh, Black Flag. <laughs> or, uh, it's it's more Anne Rice vampires, but you could always grab some Concrete Blonde. Drop in a Count Chocula commercial or something, I don't know. Or was that horrible <laughs> song on the Juno soundtrack? The, I am a vampire! Yeah, I am a, yeah do that one. It's, oh, I am yeah. a vampire. And I've lost the, my fangs. Kimya Dawson sound, song. That song I, is so awful. Yeah. All right. So do we want to? I, I do have that hard out. So do we want to get on this? All right. Let's go. We're here on the. What's well, my usual introduction? Welcome to your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. I'm your host Andrew Raff. Tonight we are talking about vampires. My guests are. Amy Watts and Dan Suter yet again, and I'm going to go re-record that because it kind of sucked. So, <laughs> tonight's episode is brought to you by the undead. <laughs> by Vervain. By the sexy undead, not the unsexy undead of The Walking Dead, but the, the safe-for-network TV sexy undead of The Vampire Diaries. The appealing to the CWD demographic. Of the Vampire Diaries. So, all right. um, I'll start this discussion with the question that I usually start my book club discussions with, which is, did you like it? Andrew, do you want to go first? Dead silence. This is not voting well. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, I didn't hate it. I'm not sure. I felt very... You know, confused. This is a show that has a tremendous amount of plot. The the one thing that I was aware of coming into it, it's got twists and turns, and and boy does it, <laughs> and does it. And I kind of felt like I needed a little more background than than I had. <laughs> you were well, the one that wanted to go in cold. We should preface this. Uh, Andrew watched this completely cold, and I did some preliminary research. I also had some some assistance. I had a Vampire Diaries translator with me, which I'll get to later. <laughs> I kind of wanted, I I almost wish that we had watched this together. Like I would have conference called a group watching of this. So that way I could kind of (laughs) tap on your shoulder and be like, okay, uh, like at the very beginning of this, what you missed from the previous season finale was that there was a big vampire device that lured all of the vampires in town to um, a certain area, and then that way the town elders could try to kill them all in one fell swoop. And they sort of got that from the previously on, but it also attracted the werewolves too. Well, see, they didn't know there was such a thing as werewolves when they set up their <laughs> bots. I mean, yeah. they knew werewolves existed, but they didn't know they had any in the neighborhood. A- Andrew said he didn't hate the show. I'm going to go with this. I found the show incredibly bearable. Like there were things in the show... <laughs> There were things in the show that weren't for me, and then there were things in the show that were perfectly for me, and it sort of got a lot of things right that another show I tried recently, uh, the U.S. version of Being Human, it, 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 it's a similar mythos to that, but they got it right, whereas that show got it completely wrong. Uh, no, I, think, I, I have to think it's a, a really well done show, and... The, it, There's a whole lot it, of vampire it, it stuff. It looks going on surprisingly right good for a network show, especially a CW show. I had to say I expected really poor production values, and other than the fact that the vampire super speed is very obviously a twice speed Nina Dobrev or you know whatever their names are, um, 
other than the very obviously, like, we're doubling the film speed now, or uh, having the frame rate, or however they do it. Uh, but other than that, the production values are really high, including, like, cutting people's fingers off. That was exciting. Um, <laughs> going straight, uh, Temple of Doom, Kali Mang, a vampire's heart. Like, it looked pretty good, and they did a good job of masking their lack of budget in a lot of ways. But it was, um, and, and I enjoyed it. There were, I, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, a little there, piece of trivia, it is actually uh, filmed in Atlanta here. Yeah, it has the uh, Made in Georgia. I, was, I thought you were going to say it was filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> that would be much, much Well, cooler. I'll say this about the Vampire Diaries. There's no humor in that show. It doesn't have time for humor. Oh, it do- oh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quibble with you on that. Damon. Um, Damon is very funny. Damon gets to be funny, and I think that's a really nice spot for Ian Somerhalder to be in. I have Damon as my funniest character on the show. He's he's absolutely the funniest one on the show. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he definitely has a bit a bit of humor. He definitely will, came back from the island much uh, <laughs> to become undead and a, a much funnier. I, I will than say he this: was. I laughed a couple of times at the show, but I don't think they wanted me to. Like um, the scene where <laughs> to jump ahead to the third episode or second episode, I forget what. Okay, one. let's I, let's be let's be clear here. We watched uh, season one epi- season two episode one, and re- which was called the return. The return season two episode five kill or be killed and season two episode six plan B. And can I just say they actually at one point um, Nina Dobrev as her second character Catherine uh-huh. says the name of the episode in the episode. And that just, I, that did it for me. It's just like, you think I wouldn't have a plan B? And I just wanted her to <laughs> ham it up and turn to the camera and say, plan B. <laughs> I also wish they could somehow work the phrase vampire diaries into every episode. Like, like have one of the vampire hunters. I honestly don't, around. I don't know if they've ever said it. I, I know, but I wish they would. I wish like in every episode be like, we should go write this in our vampire slaying diaries. Our <laughs> our vampire diaries. Like Or or at least to have the beginning This is filmed before a live Atlanta audience, based on the novels of the Vampire Diaries. It's, I absolutely or I'm not really sure what the books are, are called, the, but I know it they're is called based that, on the book yeah. series. And and I and I should say this, I'm in favor of this show. This I actually found myself thinking in episodes five and six, I'm like, wow, I think I will watch some more episodes to see how this pans out. I'm not upset that I missed episodes. Like this is a show that for as plot heavy as it is, I was sort of okay with skipping three episodes in the middle of the season. Like it worked. It was fine. And, and one of the episodes well, the, the previous leads are very good yes. on this show. Yeah. They really catch you up very one well. One of the episodes I, I had you skip is um in the end of season one and then in particularly season two, they had a lot of flashback episodes to the antebellum era. Which... Oh yeah. Because Cap- well, we should say for those who aren't familiar, and there are gonna be a ton of spoilers of them. We've spoiled like eight things already. But <laughs> It, it's almost impossible to sh- spoil this show because the show is literally all plot. Just discussing character names can can spoil things. But um, Catherine is and, and doesn't necessarily mean the end of a character, but it can. It yeah. can. We witnessed the death, but not we, necessarily. To be fair, we only witnessed one character, like actual named character, death in the episodes we watched. Which I've heard this show is very mercenary about killing its actors. It actors. is um, in the first se- in the first season. There was a young woman who was in the opening credits, and was in like the first 
two in like I think it was maybe the second or third episode she got turned into a vampire and then within another two or three episodes staked. That's, I mean, that's she was, Vicky, right? Yeah, Vicky, um, I, who is the sister to Matt. Yeah, um, I, that you and, saw in this one as Caroline's boyfriend. And I have to say, the cast is so large that characters disappear for like an episode at a time, or they pop in for like five minutes. That's fine. Like in the episodes we watched, the guy Alric, the vampire hunter, who's also their history teacher. Which these these kids are never in school. In the three episodes well, I you saw, they, I, I picked episodes where they weren't in school because it's a bit ridiculous watching oh, really? Stefan sit in a in a in a student's desk. Okay, so you actually did sort of shape our viewing of this such that we wouldn't, because I was going to say, these kids are never in school, but I could respect that if they were just like, look, once you get superpowers or find out that your friends and your boyfriend have superpowers, you kind of stop caring about math. No, it's just, I I, I picked these three episodes because they're very good. I also picked them because, um, especially the third one has, shows you kind of how the, you know, the, what I call the wham, bam, pow (laughs) plot, like, the last ten minutes of the third episode, there's like six things that happen right there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, if, I don't know if you noticed this, Andrew or Amy, but either one. But you know, at least for somebody who wasn't familiar with the show, it felt like the first acts and the third acts were very busy. Like the first and third, first fifteen. Well, they're forty minute episodes, so basically about the first twelve minutes and the last twelve minutes would be full of plot, and then the yeah. middle would sort of slow down and do character stuff. Yeah. Usually all at, like, one setting to save money. Well, and one thing I was going to ask you guys, um, because most of the time that I've watched the show, I've watched it on, as it's aired, on yes. broadcast television. So I have to sit through the commercials. And watching it as a, rewatching it, it was surprising to me. I was like, oh, that's where the commercial is. It's very much a show that rises and falls based on where the commercial breaks are going to be. Ab- Absolutely, it's, it's very much written to the act breaks, and it's... and that's and I think that's wise. Even though we're in a sh- we're in a culture that does less with act breaks, I think we're all used to segmented viewing of things. Being able to pause it, having a place where I could pause it and talk for a minute was was nice. But it's also great because it builds tension. It's a it's a thriller, yeah. And every and so if you have something coming up at a big thing every ten minutes. The show is exciting. Yeah. I actually, I, I'll use this opportunity to give a shout out. I'm at my uh, my friend's uh, apartment in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, which is not my usual location in Worcester, Mass. But I, I was home alone when I was about to start watching the episodes of The Vampire Diaries. And uh, my uh, my friend, uh, Russ's girlfriend, Amy, actually, Amy Jordan, came home and asked me what I was doing. I was like, uh, I'm about to start watching The Vampire Diaries. She got a look in her eyes. She's like, "I like the Vampire Diaries." So we, so she, but she had seen all of the first season or most of the first season and a and a few episodes in the second. So she sat on the couch and was writing something. And whenever I asked a question, she would look up and tell me what I needed to know. So I had an interpreter. I had a translator <laughs> who could be. I'm like, "Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that? Who's that? What? Why do I? What's this again?" And but I also got to share it with her because there was one girl we couldn't figure out who she was or why we cared about her. Aunt Jenna, um, the uh, woman who who stabs herself at the end of Plan B, um, as compelled to by by Catherine, um, and we were just like, who is she and why do we care? And she would be in like two minutes of each episode, and and we finally got it. But she was a huge help, and that and I think getting back to marathoning it. Yes, you notice the act breaks and stuff. 
but it really helps you remembering who the characters were. I promise you in two days, I'm not going to remember who most of these characters are, <laughs> like, without needing a refresher. And reading the synopsis of the first season was actually just a little overwhelming. If I had just... if <laughs> well, there there's was a like, lot that happens. If, if I was the Vampire Diaries production crew, I would create, like, five to eight-minute supercuts of the first and second season. And maybe they have. But do extended trailers that catch you up so I could watch... 15 minutes on YouTube, and then pick up the third season. Well, one of the things... I would bet that that is on the DVD. I, well, I actually, would... one of the things they did in season one, and this is how they got me hooked. Okay, it premiered in the fall at the normal time, and I didn't pick it up because I was just like, ugh, you know, CW, it's going to be horrible. Teen, I can't handle it. And But then I kept hearing all these good things about it, and in December of its first season... The CW just cleared its programming slate for a whole week and every night played two episodes back to back and just basically played the season thus far for a whole week. That was very wise, I think. And they did that again in season two. And I don't remember if they did it for season three or not, the most current season. But I watched, you know, because in December everything else was in reruns anyway. And so I just let them all pile up on the DVR and then I just chewed them all up and they got me hooked then yeah and and i will say the show there is a very addictive quality that comes from just like learning shows to me that's what one of the things i enjoy most is learning shows learning the patterns learning the characters and it was fun to do that for the wire i actually think it was more fun to learn the vampire diaries because i didn't have the pressure that was on the wire now i enjoyed the wire more than the Vampire Diaries. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Amy. Well, I, th- I think there's also something about coming into a show during the middle of it versus at the there's beginning. There's way less pressure for where this. Where you're catching up to it. You're you're kind of figuring out what the connections were and what they might have been and seeing it in a different way than a show that you're starting from the this, beginning as, as intended. This was relaxing and, and fun for me. I, I felt no, honestly, Amy, I felt no pressure to enjoy this show. I felt pressure to enjoy The Wire. <laughs> And I did enjoy the show. There were a lot of things I enjoyed. And um, one of them being Mina Dobrev in general. I actually agree with – I always found Dan Feinberg's espousing of the show to maybe be – he can play jokes within jokes within irony within jokes. But I, I, I think he's being really earnest when he says that Nina Dobrev is doing a great job on the show. She is. And one of the things – And not I wanna... just because she's pretty. Not just because she's pretty. One of the things I wanted to point out was in the first episode we watch, um, that's before everybody realizes that Catherine's back in town and that there are two people out there that look like Nina Dobrev, right? But only for about the first eight minutes of the show. After that, they kind of realize it. But one thing that I thought... Well, it rolls through the, the, ca- the characters right. to, to figure that but out. But one thing I wanted to point out was there was a really great scene that I thought showed how well she does in playing the two characters differently when they were at the um at the lockwood's house for the like you know the mayor's died i don't know what you'd call it like the receiving of friends basically the memorial service well yeah i guess it was sort of a memorial and she's standing there it's Catherine, and she's standing there and talking to stefan and then um matt walks up and matt doesn't know that she's Catherine, and she literally turns from paul wesley to the guy that plays Matt and just in that just turning she suddenly becomes Elena yes and I mean 
I thought that was really great. I just thought it reminded me of James Nesbitt's performance in Jekyll. Yeah. If, we, I, I, if you I, haven't I, seen it, it's really good. And it's the Jekyll Hyde thing. And again, they don't change the looks a whole lot. And in this case, they don't change it at all. But you can instantly tell which character she is. To be actually, to me, um, the the best contemporary for for it is Fringe, Anna Torv on Fringe, where Anna Torv has <laughs> ne- Anna Torv has now played. I haven't started. I only watched the first episode of the fourth season. Other than that, I I've watched one, two, three in the first episode of the fourth season, and she is in that time she's played like four versions of the same character. Mm. Uh, you know, um, Olivia Olivia Dunham, and then alternate universe Olivia Dunham, who's more of a a hard ass and and more you know intense. And then she played Olivia Dunham being possessed by Leonard Nimoy's character. Oh and my! In a second, she like copied the physicality of of um, Leonard Nimoy, and it's very very good. And I think one of the things with Nina Dobrev, I you said that scene to me, the scene that best did it was. The scene in the third episode we watched, uh, Plan B, when both of her, her act, as an actress, both of her characters are getting it on with their various bows. Um, oh, the opening, the, the, what do you call that, the cold open? I don't know. Was it the cold open? It yes, was before it was. the credits, you're yeah. Right, you're right. It, w- it was the cold open, um, where uh, Catherine is uh, doing it with Mason, the, uh, the, douchey, vam- uh, the douchey werewolf, and... Um, and where Elena, her the, the main character of the show, is uh, is being intimate with um, the vampire uh, Stefan, who looks like James Vanderbeek and uh, <laughs> Robert Pattinson had a love child. <laughs> and throw a little David Boreanaz. A little bit, a little vampire. He has uh, Vander hair. He totally has Vander. Well, hair. and I would say a teeny bit of James Franco as James Dean. <laughs> there you go. He is. Um, the, the, all the male actors on the show, other than Damon, all the air, male actors on this show are kind of the same bland look. They're him. And is that only because you you watched the first season of Lost and you recognize Ian Summerhalder? Of Lost, I don't even know who he was on Lost. I've never seen Lost. Wow. I've never seen Lost either. Are we going to have to watch Lost now? Damn. That might that might be Andrew's second pick, but uh, <laughs> the first, and he would probably only have us watch episodes from the first season anyway. But the um. But in that scene, it's kind of showing the different. It's kind of elementary, kind of showing the differences between her two characters. But right. Catherine is this very predatory uh, uh, attitude, and she has this. She's always wearing this expression that's sort of this bemused smirk, but lurking yeah. beneath her face, like. And it's very true. And I won't say Alina is more like an ingenue or innocent or naive, she's but she's good-hearted and sincere and earnest. And also much younger. Well, she's a couple not... hundred years younger. <laughs> I liked that the characters weren't dumb. Like a lot of these teen shows, the characters just do dumb things. And one of it is that a lot of these characters are a couple centuries old. But I thought that they were giving credit to some teen characters where maybe they weren't doing necessarily really stupid things. They were doing only uninformed things. And the uninformedness came from the plot, not from contrivance. Because I'm not really. Because I know there's a bunch of different vampire mythos. I was going to say I have a list mythoses, of and, how it works in the vampire. And, and my my biggest experience with with vampire lore is Buffy the Vampire Slayer okay. and and Angel. And 
there the rules about vampires were fairly well laid out. Vampire goes out in the sun, starts to burn and burn up and, and in this die. they wear rings that allow you say, not to burn up, it, I guess. It's normally true in the vampire diaries unless you have magical jewelry. Okay. So also, and they all have also a plot point from <laughs> all all the from ones Buffy that are series regulars too. have magical jewelry. <laughs> because it was very confusing to me to see these all these vampires out in the sun, yeah. which has got to be a lot cheaper and easier to shoot on location than doing it all well, at night. Well, that but... and certainly it pays off with the um, sheriff and Damon storyline. I mean, she even says Damon can't be a vampire; he walks in the sun. And also, also because of the uh, the uh, what is it the the chemical the vervain uh, yeah the the what, how do you say it it's v e r v a i n oh vervain it's basically like wolfsbane for werewolves and uh, for vampires and I said that before they introduced wolfsbane it was ridiculous to me sort of that they knew what vervain was but they didn't know what wolfsbane was well they didn't know they had werewolves so. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, werewolves are mythical creatures. Vampires. <laughs> I was going to say that those are. That's what I well, say they just one. didn't know they had werewolves in there's, the neighborhood. Re- they didn't. They don't have to register like sex offenders. I gotta say, there's a really dumb scene. You know that scene I was talking about with Alric earlier, where he, or I didn't mention it earlier, but basically in one of the episodes, Alric comes in for three minutes to give exposition on why they need the moonstone, and yeah. then and then I think it's Damon who turns and gives like a really dumb face, and he's like. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why do we got to believe in all this superstition about witches? I'm like, you know a witch. You know a witch. And you're just going to be like, it's all superstition. And and to me, that was a little bit lame. But I actually thought they did fairly few plot contrivances. And I give the show a lot of credit for not going down the... As a supernatural drama slash teen soap, they really didn't go down the road of the teen soap uh, tropes that I thought they could have. Like, when... Um, when uh, Stefan scares uh, John Gilbert out of town, John Gilbert, who is pretending to be Alina's uncle but is really her father, yeah. Um, when he scares her out of town, he immediately tells her, like two seconds later, what he did. And to me, on another show, they might have dragged that out for two episodes where you didn't know, and then she finally finds out, and then for two episodes they're not together because they're mad at each other, but then they get back together. And on this show, they just sort of like acknowledged it and. Elena is right. sort of a sensical character who goes, oh, we have a lot more plot to get to, so I, I guess this is fine. <laughs> well, there was a, um, in season three, I won't say who it was, but there were two characters who shared a kiss, and um, in the next episode, you know, they were all together, and they were acting kind of weird, and someone said, what's up with you two, or what's going on, and instead of, like, pained looks and a three-episode arc... They said uh, kissed? It actually, one of the characters said, we kissed, now it's weird. And boom, <laughs> they moved on. <laughs> I, I really like that they're... Of, they, the show seems to be much more serious about its supernatural dramatic elements than it is its teen soap elements, which I appreciate, which is why I like the show. If the show was... To me, the show is like 70% supernatural drama, 30% teen soap, which is from well, what we see. I also... There, there is a lot of sort of the lovelorn... Oh, both the brothers are in love with Elena. Both the brothers were in love with Catherine. Damon's still sort of in love with Catherine, but I don't know. I mean, they play that sort of... I I almost think it's almost like kind of a Wuthering Heights gothic sort of 
Well, my friend Joe, who I shooed out of the room earlier, he he said Wuthering Heights. Like when I was talking to this, he's like, "This is Wuthering Heights." Yeah, they're, they're, if they had moors in Georgia, I'm sure they'd be making use of them. Um, the other thing I think I was going to say about the uh, Damon seems to be the most genre savvy character in this. Like he knows he's in it. To me, he's like 20 percent sure he's in a TV show. He always goes like, "What's up? <laughs> What's up with all this faux relationship drama?" Like, you know, or like, you know, he's, you know, he's the one who sort of, I'm actually going to liken him to a character in um, Charlie Sheen's role on Two and a Half Men, where he, Charlie, in, in that show, which I don't enjoy that show, but while he was <laughs> on that show, Charlie Sheen's role was basically to comment on the dumb stuff that happened. They give and, Damon a lot of that. Um, in season three, they expanded a little more um, where Stefan gets to take some of that mantle. Because he, uh, I gotta say, the show, I, I get why the show isn't funny, but they're not trying. And I think if they tried a little bit, I would, I need like well, one legitimately funny character as opposed to a character who is funny because he's pointing out to me the ways in which this TV show is a TV show. Well, one, well, I think on the other hand, it is the CW. And if you go too far in the, they're vampires, it's teen drama, it's funny, you're making Buffy version two. Well, but Buffy is one of the most popular shows they've ever had, and so I don't see why that's a huge issue. I I don't think the creators want to do that. You, they want to do their own own thing, I suspect. No, I mean they. Um, I I follow both Kevin Williamson and Julie Pleck on Twitter, and I mean they think it's awesome to be compared to Buffy, but they are doing. They their do own not. Thing. They do not want to be. I, and I get. And I've never seen Buffy, so. <laughs> I was too young. I was too young, guys. That's one I'm, I'm curious to see how you feel about that and how terribly it's aged. I've heard it has not aged well. I don't know. I haven't watched it since it was on, so I can't say. Um, one thing about this is um, it, I picked... this. These three episodes have a very nice Caroline arc to them, where yes. in the first episode she's turned into a vampire. You mean vampire Tyler Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> um, and then the the second episode we watched, you know, her mom finds out, and then in the third episode, she kind of has to reconcile herself to where her relationship is with her mom because she's now a vampire. And and I thought that normally, was normally good... Caroline gets to be some of the comic relief. Okay. Uh, she has a very nice sort of funny mean girl bitchiness to her yes you know if that makes sense like she's kind of a bitch but in a funny way she looks and, a lot like Ari Graynor who is sort of plays that role in the stuff she's in and I really and I had a hard time not seeing her as Ari Graynor um and so you you saw kind of a more serious Caroline arc but a lot of times she gets to be um funny and that's one of the things I've liked is that in later parts of season two and then in season three she and Damon develop a nice sort of friendship. Like he's sort of her vampire mentor. And they spark off each other very nicely because I think those are the two actors with the best comic chops. Yeah. And I will, I will say that um, that scene she had with her mother where basically Caroline's mother is a sheriff and she's the sort of on a, she's the head of a secret anti-vampire task force sort the of town. Town elders thing, which is a nice trope. I like that trope. It's very Twin Peaksy, and I like that. Um, but I, uh, 
was she vampires have the ability to mind wipe people or to mind control people to an extent and Caroline's mother is upset she becomes a vampire but then there were a few moments where I was like there were I wanted to yell at the screen like as Caroline be like yeah this I'm a vampire now mom deal with it <laughs> like and and but Caroline's mother comes to accept it and says I'll keep it a secret I want to help you and Caroline mind wipes her and I said well on one hand her mother had come to accept her vampirism but at the same time I think I think Caroline did a mitzvah in depriving her mother of that knowledge. Like, it was merciful that she wouldn't have to wrestle with that. It was merciful, but it was also protective because she didn't just compel her to forget about her. She also compelled her to forget about the Salvatore brothers. Yes, and I, th- and I think that was a, I think that was a good, I think that was an interesting note for the characters to play because she could have easily, I think it's a more complex note than the show had to do. And... You know, it, they could have done less, but they chose to do more. And I think I respect the ambition of the show. That's the number one thing I'm coming away with is the show is trying really hard. And I respect that more than almost anything with a show. They're not willing to sit back and rest on the fact that they got a bunch of pretty people running around, true but blood light, whatever you want to call it, you know. I actually, I've, I watched the first couple seasons of True Blood, and I have to say, I think that in terms of being, um, I actually find Vampire Diaries more interesting. Uh, And I think in some ways it may be because they are aimed at a teen audience on network television. So it can't just be, oh, what are we going to do now? Let's have people get naked. You know? I do think True Blood. When you take away the, the ability to show sex on TV or have naked people, in some ways, you have to be more creative about the way that you're portraying those those things, especially with uh, with teen soaps and. With Andrew, I did have this question for you though. I I felt like when I was watching the show, there was a certain amount of misdirection they were doing in the show, and I felt like a lot of the cliffhangers and head fakes, if you will, I sort of got where they were going instantly before the characters were, and I didn't know if that was by design to make the audience feel clever and engaged for having figured it out or knowing it. Or if I'm kind of outsmarting the process. And I didn't like when I knew Jeremy wasn't dead, like blatantly. When they snapped Jeremy's neck, I, like he had the ring on. And, and even if, even then, there was still the chance he could become a vampire because well, he might have had the blood still in him. Or when Caroline, Caroline was obviously coming back as a vampire. That was very, when she got smothered at the end of the first episode we watched. Like, it, I feel like maybe that's by design because it's nice well, to feel included. If I can answer those two, I can say that one of the things about Jeremy, it's not so much whether or not he's going to come back to life. The more interesting question, this is one I wrote down, was the question of did Damon see, did Damon know that he would come back to life? Oh, and, that, that is true. Cause, and that's something that, um, and uh, Stefan is like, oh, he knew he was wearing the ring. And Elena's like, he didn't know that. He didn't know that. And so that gives you some ambiguity in the character of Damon of, did he really just kill Jeremy like quickly in cold blood or did he know that he was going to be safe? And they don't, to me, they never answer that for they you. To- they don't really address that, or at least... And I do. liked that, that they leave it up to the viewer to decide whether or not Damon knew about the ring. I just think they don't have time. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, no, I, I think that's it's a good ambiguity. It leaves it open, and that's one of the things I, I was curious about at that point, too, is that I it was hard to tell whether or not this was a deliberate act of, I know that I can do this because I'm a vampire and... 
uh, I know there's, and I don't care. I have no soul. I just am angry. I'm going to kill this guy or I can do this and there's no consequences to it because he's wearing this little ring. The, right. the other, the other thing I wanted to get in is about this dialogue. Some of the dialogue had me rolling my eyes and I get it's partially because I'm not necessarily the intended audience. Although uh, from this point forward, anything that has, you're probably the closest to the intended audience. <laughs> on no, <here>. I am. <laughs> well, yes. But I'll say this. I have be- boobies. I count more. Be- because of this show, anything with Nina Dobrev in it is now my intended audience. I'm the intended audience for it. I- <laughs> you know, e- even the head vein, even the forehead vein works for me. So, oh, but wow. the, um, but the, uh, the dialogue, there's some really cheesy dialogue. Okay. Can I ask you how much of it was delivered by Tyler Lockwood? Uh, which one's he? He's the he's the baby werewolf. Uh, not that I didn't I don't know sort of. See, to me, I was watching this and I kept cringing because I think he is by far the worst. He's really of stiff. the teen cast. I I thought some of it was bad. Like like I got you figured you'd kill all your evil vampires and leave town. Not all, but enough. And what about a goodbye kiss? How about I kill you instead? Or like, <laughs> or like. Come on, kiss me or kill me. We know you're only capable of one. I don't know why I read Nina Dovrev's line in like a tough guy voice, but um, also uh, the other the other one that really like this much psychology. I was gonna that, say take that up with your question. shrink. <laughs> I was gonna say it's it's Freud would have something to say about that, but um, or like for me it was like there was just a piece of really amateurish writing that killed me is when in the flashback scene when you see Mason Lockwood killing accidentally killing some random guy oh and yeah and and he and he goes and he gets pushed by the guy or whatever and he goes what are you doing it's me your buddy mason and it's like like how you would introduce a character in like a somebody's play they wrote in like sophomore year of high school like it's me your friend mason lockwood not a werewolf yet but i can be soon like <laughs> And, and, you know, I like, I sort of actually really... I appreciate it. I that. really like... I like that Char- character name, introduction, all in one... Uh, <laughs> it's me. Andrew wished that everybody exposition. had been wearing a little Hello My Name is tags on every episode. And But I, I, I actually really like the way you unlock the werewolf curse. Like, you have to accidentally kill one. Although well, that's... Although that's I have said, a question about that. Don't you think the curse should make a distinction between murder and homicide? I don't know. I had. Don't, don't you mean between uh, murder and manslaughter? Or, <laughs> yeah. Uh... Sorry, murder and manslaughter. I, I had a question about that. Like, how does the curse decide? But I, you know what? I, I didn't have time. There was too much happening. Also, well, apparently, if I, it, the curse doesn't decide. You can kill somebody accidentally, well, and that's what I'm, it would. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it's up to the curse. Like, in, in how many degrees of separation does it need to go? Like. What's the butterfly effect going on here? Well, or you... Yes, I guess if you're the negligent person who trips the train uh, the train yard thing and it sends an empty boxcar into killing somebody standing in the yard, would that make, turn you into a werewolf? I, I yes. see. I don't know. See, but... I think we should hire the curse um, to investigate insurance claims because it clearly knows who's at fault. And I, <laughs> I also thought that the, the episodes we saw did a very good job of balancing the teen soap with the supernatural. Like, they very obviously thought, how would real people act if this became their world? Like, at one point, uh, the witch, Bonnie, is that her name? Yeah. Bonnie's like, 
Well, since Car- she says the line, which I laughed at this line, it wasn't a bad line, but I thought it was really kind of campy and delicious, was, since Caroline became a vampire, we hardly see each other. And <laughs> like, and like, but that to me is a really good balance of the supernatural and the teen soap. I also thought the the scene where they torture Stefan and Damon, like they didn't go far enough with that. Like I mentally was creating all these vampire torture techniques and, you know, instead they just sadist. Well, instead they just sit there and shoot them again and again, like, ah, you're immortal. So we're just going to shoot you a bunch of times. Well, that's what she knows. Well, first of all, that's the sheriff and that's what she knows how to do. Right. Yeah, well, but she knows all about vampires. She knows how to use vervain. She she could. She didn't a, know that they could walk in the sunlight with magical jewelry. Well, well, no, she didn't think that they were. Oh, that's true. She didn't know about the anatomy. You're right. It's also it's a pretty effective, easy thing. You have a lot of bullets. You shoot the vampire. You don't have to plan on well. If I do this, will they feel the pain because they're immortal or or not? And figure out. Exactly. All the also also the war. sheriff sort of looked like a cheap imitation of Martha Plimpton, and it just made me wish Martha Plimpton was in the show because she would ham it up much more. <laughs> um, well, one of the things is, and I guess this is more established in season one, is that whole council of elders or whatever it's called. The sheriff's on it, but so are the Salvatore brothers because the council doesn't realize that they're vampires. Oh, I did not. Oh, they so. Did- the Salvatore brothers, by being on the council, are able to hide certain amounts of vampire lore from other members of the council. Oh, I, I, they had hinted that they were friends, but it also made me weirded out. Like, why would high school kids be on the, the council? Like, Well, it's because they all go back to this idea of founding families in, oh, okay. for the town, and the Salvatores were a founding family. The Gilbert, the Lockwoods, whatever the sheriff's last name is. They were all, they're all descended. It, it's like Ancestry.com rules the town. <laughs> so, and so the, the, the brothers are like in school? Well, because did, they, did they right? when they died, when they became vampires, they were kind of teenage-ish. And so those actors are not teenagers. No. Paul Wesley's 33 right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think I, what I it is, I'm trying to remember in season one... What it is is they've come. They've been away from the town for a while, and they've come back. And Steph, uh, Stefan does go to school, but Damon does not, because Damon, like most people I know, would be like, "Why on earth would I want to go back to high school now?" Yeah. But Stefan goes because he is kind of following Elena. Yeah, and that's so fine. He's going the, to high school for a girl. The other, the other thing, um, I oh, I wanted to just mention. Going back to the avoiding stereotypical plots, that when Bonnie the witch, that Bonnie the psychic witch, sees someone who looks like her friend Elena having relations with Mason Lockwood, I like that the her love interest Stefan basically instantly realized that it was Catherine. Like the characters aren't dumb, and I appreciate that the most is that they're giving the characters a little bit of credit. There's still some teen drama stuff, like at the end of the last episode we watched. We did have the we have to break up or the people I love will get hurt scene that we get in every single. But what's nice in this or, one is it's literal. Yeah. It's not we have to break up to protect the people I love's feelings. It's no it's, we have to break up to protect their pulses. Yeah. Well, because um, Catherine mind controls Elena's aunt into stabbing herself, which we mentioned. But well, and th- something you may or may not know is that in 
the very um, beginning of season one, Matt and Elena were boyfriend and girlfriend. So Matt is her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my friend's girlfriend, Amy, helped me with that. She helped me with all the character relations and where they had previously been. So it was it was very useful to have that her as a resource. So another quick question. Yeah. Was Catherine talked about a lot during the first season? Only in flashbacks. So, because she is the vampire who made the Salvatore brothers. She sired them. Or I guess she's not, she, she damned them? I don't If it's However, sired I, I, and a dam. I suspect sired is the appropriate term, even if it's a, a little bit. Or it turned. seems a little bit. Turned would be the gender be. neutral. Um, but so, we have seen her before in um, flashbacks, but it wasn't until either the last episode or the last couple of episodes of season one that she was there in the present day storyline. And the other thing I was going to go with is, so if that's true, then Mason Lockwood had been with Catherine in Florida. You can tell I actually enjoyed the show because now I'm nitpicking plot and not (laughs) technicality and not nitpicking technicalities because we find out that Catherine was there when Mason killed the guy in Florida. Shouldn't somebody have been clued into the fact that Mason was hanging out with somebody who looked exactly like Elena and she, or do we just assume that she kept out of sight when in town? That and, like, as an audience, we didn't know that she and Mason were in cahoots until we saw him get in her car in the woods. Yeah, okay. I like, that see. was a surprise to us, the audience. So, um, and since the Vampire Diaries quite often lets the audience know more than its characters. That's, I um, like that, and I like that. Um, that, if... If that's when they tell the audience, we can assume that we weren't left in the dark when characters um, did know about it. So we, since my heart out is approaching, we have about eight minutes. Is there any way to arc this discussion to some sort of conclusion that, that makes us all feel good about the Vampire Diaries? Okay, so Dan, are you going to continue watching? I may not in the middle. I don't know. I don't know, actually. I, I, will, I will in the future watch more episodes of the Vampire Diaries. I can promise that. Um, I don't well, know tonight what... while we've been talking, some big deal episode was happening and I'm having to avoid all social media until I watch it. I don't know if I will, um, go back and watch season one, knowing what I know now. I might just to sort of shade in the stuff I have clues about, because this isn't a show that really brings you up to date that well, other than on the continued on. they just, they really do just throw you in and respect you to keep on going. Um, respect you enough to ask you to keep on going, but I might go back, fill in the couple of episodes I missed at the beginning of season two, watch season two and watch season three. I might, I, I, I really do. I did enjoy the three episodes I watched. Although you did say that you picked them specifically because they were appealing. Well, and I'd also picked them because I liked the, the Caroline arc would sort of begin and complete and the Mason arc would begin and complete and so I kind of wanted to get you through a couple of storylines all the way. Would you say that these three episodes are overall representative of the quality of the show? Yeah, at its best, yes. Um, I find any any episode that's heavily flashback, you know, going back to either the Civil War or going back to when we find out the Eastern European roots of some of the characters, um, those I do not like so much it's kind of like if you andrew will appreciate this it's angelus <laughs> okay. so did you will you keep watching andrew 
I think the, in the immediate future, I'm going to go and rewatch some Buffy episodes. <laughs> there are a few that it really brought to mind, particularly the one where Vampire Willow comes into uh, Sunnydale High and uh, a couple others uh, that reminds me of that this reminds me of but yes i am gonna keep it in my netflix queue and i am going to uh dip in and out of it when i need to watch it because it is a, it's a fun lightweight well show. and i i think one thing you could do if you're watching it on netflix especially is you know pull up the episode read the little blurb and if it looks like it's going to be one that you're not interested in skip it because you know the previouslys will catch you up for the next one the, do you andrew do you think this fits enough of what you like about Buffy the Vampire Slayer that it could sort of be your Buffy nouveau like it could scratch that itch oh not at not at all it doesn't it's such a different show even though there's there's vampires uh, well I know that's just a superficial comparison yeah I'd say Buffy is a much more uh compelling show in a lot in in many ways because it is much more of an allegory. It's much more about well oh, using have, the supernatural to talk about the high school, college, and I was I was gonna I was experiences. I, I didn't get to a lot of my notes, but the one thing I was gonna leave out, but I'll go back to, is when uh, when with John Gilbert, the character in the first episode we watched, he's like a vampire racist. <laughs> like, why do vampires have to stand for something? Can't they just be vampires? Like, he's like a vampire racist, and he hates vampires and. You know, he would disapprove of Alina's. He disapproves of Alina's choice to to be with Stefan or Stefan or whatever. Well, this really brings me a big question: Mike. Why are vampires so popular right now? Twilight. What it's does, really Twilight. What do vampires say? But why is Twilight popular? Because we're always vampires are a canvas to tell a certain kind of stories. They've always sort of been a tale of human sexuality and relationships and forbidden love. And and werewolves are more about our animalistic id and zombies are about our fears of consumerism and conformism. And it's just we're in this place where they're an effective canvas to tell stories that people want to hear. And Twilight opened a lot of doors. So so you think it's it's really a pushback against the puritanical urges of elements of today's society? I definitely think it is. I mean, I... True Blood in particular, where they're all sort of gender, you know, they don't care much about gender. They they don't care much about pretty much anything other than getting it on. And <laughs> and this show is, I'll tell you what, it doesn't, Twilight is a Mormon abstinence parable, and there's no getting around that. Um, but this show is sort of about a really healthy relationship. I think, I'm not going to lie, I really like that the fact that at the core of this show is a relationship between Nina Dobrev's character, Alina, and um, Ian Summeralter, is that his name? Stefan? Uh, no, Paul Wesley that, plays Stefan. Uh, Ian Summeralter is Damon yeah. slash Boone, who I looked up on uh, IMDb. But um, that relationship, they care about each other. They respect each other. They have this. And the age difference isn't at all weird. And it's not as creepy as it is in Twilight. Well, where... one thing I'll say um, is. I picked three episodes here, but something if you watch more of the series is there's a lot of things about relationships in here because you have, imagine if you've had the same brother for 200 years. There's some Uh, sibling issues, right? I'll tell you what, it feels like I have. (laughs) Well, so the sibling issues are really really interesting between Damon and Stefan. And the other thing I really like, and this isn't something that was necessarily a focus, you saw glimmers of it in these three episodes, is the female friendship between the girls. 
Yes. Between Bonnie and Caroline and Elena. And I mean, like that clunker line that you cited earlier, that's a little bit of it, you know, um, about her saying, hey, I haven't seen you around lately. And one thing that I like, these are teenage girls who, for the most part, do not sabotage each other. Yes. Do not, you know, shit on each other. They are there for each other. They're supportive and they're trying It's sort of an us against the world kind of thing. And that's a fantastic thing to see from teenage girls on TV right now. Have you guys heard of the Bechdel test? Yes. yes. Yeah, it, it absolutely passes the Bechdel test. Bechdel test, and I'll and I'll mention it out loud for Which the audience. Be... It, it's it's a two step process. Does do is there a female? Well, three. Is there a female character in your movie it, or show? In this case, yes. Does she ever talk to anyone besides a male character? In this case, no. You're getting it wrong, Dan. It's are the, do. Yeah. Are there two female characters who talk to one another okay. about something other than a man? Well, that's the one sentence way. I, I think about <laughs> it as a three I think about it as a flow chart because I'm a nerd. You you prefer the multivariate yes. but, test theory versus Well, Andrew, the, I'll link the you simple. the original cartoon for the web links. But basically once you start thinking in terms of the Bechdel test, you realize how many movies fail. I'm about to go see a movie that probably fails, uh, Chronicle. <laughs> you know, it's all about male characters. But in this show, they are not always, they're not, oh, my boyfriend this, and they could easily be swooning in private over the sexy vampires and the sexy werewolves, but instead they're sort of dealing with their own problems, and they're real people. That's, these, for as ill-characterized as I think a lot of the characters are, at the very least, they're independent of other characters. They, there are no characters that I really go, oh, I only see those two characters in the same place, and I can see how the show plays with character pairings. Um, it does a lot. I don't think they always do it well. I think Bonnie doesn't have a lot to do but react to people. Uh, um, not in these episodes, but in other episodes, she takes more of a lead. And in Caroline, I thought that Caroline had a, one thing the show, not just female characters, the characters were all very active characters. They were, all, they were not p- passive at all. And that's something you can say about the show in general. Not passive at all. Incredibly <laughs> active. But I've, I've hit my heart out. So... Okay. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Andrew, can we hang on just a say little longer? Oh, what, no, so what I wanted to say, which I didn't get time to say, and if you can edit this in somewhere, you're welcome to, is here are the ways in which The Vampire Diaries is similar to The Wire. You ready? Go for it. Large cast of characters that you pair up in lots of different ways. Um, anyone can die at any time, Right. And it, a lot of it is about um, how those different characters interact with one another and what they bring out in each other. And the, the one thing that I also got a sense of, but uh, that we talked about a little before, is that it's also, the Vampire Diaries, that is, is also a bit about the institutions. It's about what it is to be a vampire and that this town has a council of elders and it's ossified in certain ways and it reacts in certain ways to i don't know if it's a vampire threat or menace or supernatural that's actually one question i did have is that is there something that brings this town all their vampiric activity like the hellmouth and buffy um well what in season one a lot of what you found out was that around the civil war i think it was 1864 time was when it happened um the town rounded up, the Council of Elders was formed, and they rounded up all the vampires, and they entombed them to protect the town. 
Like, they just decided they had had enough of vampires and let's round them all up. And so is there, like, a cache of entombed vampires just, like, sitting there? There were, and they got destroyed at the end of season one. And Catherine was thought to be in the tomb, but it turned out that she had escaped right at, like, right at the time that everybody else was entombed. So... That was one of the big main reasons that her showing up in town was a huge surprise at the end of season one was because they thought she'd been in a tomb for the last 140 years. So, but instead she's been, been out and about. She's been having a good time. She's been down in Florida, making friends with werewolves, that sort of thing. (laughs) And one other thing that you missed because of the episodes I picked, um, and because it was more in season one and then later in season two, uh, Elena's mom, Isabel, is played by, um, what's her name, Mia Kirshner? She was in, I remember she was in the first season of 24 because she was the woman that dove out of the airplane. She was on the L word for a lot of years. Um, She's kind of, she's one of those actresses that when she shows up on the screen, you're like, Oh, so this character is going to be a crazy person. Yes, Mia Kirshner. Yeah. Um, and her playing Elena's mom is kind of fun. Um, so, yeah. But, oh, so the incident... Who's, who was looking her up on IMDb also was in Dracula the series in 1990. I think she might have also been in The Crow. Let's see. Is that correct? Uh or am I, I getting her confused with somebody? I think there may have been another Mia name type person in The Crow. Well, since I'm on IMDb, let's see. What am I thinking of? I think the last time I saw The Crow, I only saw the opening and the ending because it was a Halloween showing and I was very, very drunk. <laughs> Great. I have I've actually never seen it. Great soundtrack. Nice mid nineties gothy soundtrack. Anyway, um I would say as far as institutions go, so in the wire your institutions are the police and this this drug slash crime family. Not family, but institution, ring, whatever you want to call it. Whereas in the Vampire Diaries Dang. institutions are family and town you know there's this idea of the history of mystic falls and the founding families and you know so then like i was making the joke about ancestry.com but a lot of it comes down to um you know what do you owe your ancestors and your heritage and i think that's where with john gilbert you know they said well you know why did vampires have to stand in for racist and Something that they never kind of, I don't know that, I don't feel like they ever explicitly stated it, but the fact that the original vampire roundup happened during the Civil War, and you sort of have it set in the South, and there's a lot of sort of this idea of, you know, not mixing the two, you could draw a little, that is a little bit different than Buffy, is that Buffy almost invited you to kind of, put on these more 
heavy arching themes. Um, whereas the Vampire Diaries, it's not to say that you couldn't put these sort of heavier themes around it and on top of it, but it's not begging you to. Well, Buffy was very yeah, obviously is. parable. It was... It's a it's a soap. Essentially, right. it's a soapy show about small right. town with supernatural well, elements to make it more interesting to bring. Although more it is still surprising it sometimes, just, either in terms of than, uh, who it happens like to or how it happens. Killing off uh, um, what's his name from uh, gun violence was shocking. Here you can have a, a death in episode, and it's it's less surprising. Well, like pulling out Mason Lockwood's heart. I mean, when, when I first saw that episode, that was sort of a... <gasps> but I think that's the advantage and, of having and, vampires, you, werewolves, you rewound and it to uh, see other supernatural if you creatures. Thought, did that, I just see what I thought I saw? For characters to die um, and same kind of thing with the fingers cutting off. I mean, that was very smart of Catherine. Cut the... Exactly. You know, because then if you cut his fingers off first, he's not wearing the magical Indy, ring. Cover your heart! So you have a better chance at killing him. And But to just show it... And she didn't dilly-dally around with it. Yeah, and that's how they start the episode. And, you know, that's one of the things I like about it is that it's not... So, again, shotgun to the kneecap, butcher knife on the fingers. There's another parallel for you. And that was Um, very quick and sudden. Boom. Oh, gosh. Cleavered. Um, Um... one other thing that I didn't get a chance to say before Dan left was, um, yeah. with Scott Scanlon was the <laughs> character on nine hundred two one zero. One of the that I did have to look up because I <laughs> one of the other reasons that. that I think vampires are kind of the vampire story is sort of always going to be an leave. appeal still, to the female teenage audience is just like you got very pardon quiet me for being gross, but the blood aspect. Shut up, Caesar. Um, you know, because that's something teenage girls are suddenly dealing with. It's very weird and kind of scary. And so then to have it in this context where it becomes a, almost a, I mean, it's a good thing. It's a sexualized thing, but in sort of a positive way. Um, like one of the thing is that in the episode, episode two, when she shows up at, when Elena shows up at Stefan's house and is like, look, if you're going to drink human blood, it should be mine. Right. And then she has him, you know, she cuts her palm. And then in the beginning of the next episode, when she cuts her fingertip and he sucks the end of her finger, there's, I mean, there's no two ways about it. Those scenes are played for a certain amount of erotic appeal. And I think that's where, um, this, the vampire, I mean, the, the vampire becomes kind of an allegory for where we are right now. And in a weird way, it might almost be safer for a young teenage girl to give her blood like that than to have unprotected sex, if that makes sense. Uh, 
Um, yes. Yeah, so okay, I'll just admit it. I I, guess I consume trans- a lot of vampire okay, culture, whether it's through um, books or books. TV or movies. And, if you're, and you're a different vampire series eats, deal with that differently. Who's, uh, um, for HIV some of them, the vampire sort of magical healing blood means that they can't be affected by the virus. For others, it will make them ill, but it won't kill them. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting how... Uh, vampire fiction has had to write itself in response to AIDS. And and there's also um, some vampire fiction that has been almost explicitly a- allegorical to the AIDS epidemic. So it's, it's cause you can't avoid in this day and age, you can't avoid talking blood, you know, without talking about AIDS. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, one of the other things you were asking about the vampire myth of, you know, okay, so what, 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 it's, it's what's the vampire honest. mythos sure in this that, series? I, I and I wrote some of them down, and really we talked about the daylight. And I suppose it's like food uh, You can kill them yes, by staking but, uh, them or by beheading them or by burning them. So, like, if you can set them on fire, that will kill them pretty good. Um the vampires become vampires by dying with vampire blood in their system. Um, but then... Well, vampire in, in Vampire Diaries, vampire blood has magical healing properties. Um, yeah, and so... Um, but the other thing but, is, is that, and that's the one thing you I can die with a, vampire blood in your system, here, but when you wake up, or... you have to feed. You have to feed as a vampire in order to complete the transformation. That, that I gather. And <laughs> if you don't feed, then you die sort of a slow, painful, agonizing, forever death. Um, I don't remember where they stand on garlic. I'm pretty sure they can see themselves in mirrors. They don't... The, the true... <laughs> well come on I don't I think Damon would have staked himself if he couldn't admire himself in the mirror <laughs> um unlike the true blood vampires they do not have to sleep in a coffin or go underground well, look at the amount of hair product they you use. know during they the daylight hours see themselves in mirrors. um yeah I mean they can sleep in a coffin exactly. I mean there are some that you find out but um I don't think it's a requirement quite so much they can eat and drink, um, and in, but you see them drink more than. Yeah, well, they've got magic rings. They can. Well, they I mean, like in the real sun, walking around in the like sun. Human. Yeah. Do they have to eat? No. No, but they can. Like there are some vampire mythos where vampires, have to like if vampires tried to eat regular food, they would throw uh, yeah, it up. I mean, I mean, like, food, or they wouldn't even like be able to swallow blood. it. Like they just, they, they just can't. Um, right. Okay. But in this, they they can eat, and they they do drink. In fact, you see Damon drink a lot in most episodes. I kind of somehow found the teetotaling Damon episodes. Um, and of course, you saw the super speed. Uh, and Vervain, um, what Vervain does first of all, it tastes icky to vamps. So like, if you have Vervain in your bloodstream, and a vampire bites you, he's going to spit you out because you don't taste very good. Um, it also can burn them, you know, if it's in liquid form. 
And but the other thing it does is that if you as a human have vervain in your bloodstream, uh, you can't be compelled by a vampire. So you saw some of that with the sheriff, and that's why they had to keep her in the cell um, until all the vervain was out of her. Because they put vervain in the water supply in that town to, you know, or they. The, the elders, you know, spike their kids' drinks with it. You know, like, in other words, they're trying to get Vervain into the population. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, Wolfsbane works... Wolfsbane kind of works the same way for werewolves, except right, it's like, it, it's like it doesn't... Water, werewolves so don't have compulsion know, so powers, so Wolfsbane just, you know, is unpleasant to, to werewolves. To throw themselves um, off a cliff or so whatever. That's the most I can think of of the sort of vampire mythology. Um, we haven't encountered yet whether or not vampires can impregnate a human, or if we have, I don't remember it. Um, and... I think that's pretty much. Oh, one thing is, is that I don't remember if this was true on Buffy or not, but you can stake a vampire. Um, but if you don't remove the stake, then it just sort of puts them in a coma. Then you, they went to dust. Yeah. Um, no, in this one, it's like I think if you put the stake in, in it's sort of like a. It's like um. You know, when you watch the medical dramas and somebody comes in impaled on something I'm and they're like, don't pull it out because the uh, they'll bleed out. The, the That's kind of how it is, I think, for the, for the vampires. And they don't really, I'm trying to remember, they turn to dust, but not in the same kind of very quick way that, um, right. they sort of, they sort of marbleize and then sort of cake and turn into dust as opposed to the Buffy instant dust, the instant, the instant, instant vamp dust. <laughs> well, special effects have gotten um, a lot better. And so far we time. haven't seen any, we haven't seen anything quite like a slayer, if that makes sense. I mean, you have people on the council who hunt vampires and yeah. you find out that there are other characters out there who make it their business to track and kill vampires but it's not that sort of chosen thing in the way that but she's probably in that angel's bed she's walking around well it's filmed well, in georgia but it's set in virginia there can only be Mystic one maybe, Falls, maybe virginia. she's busy uh, somewhere uh but else. they do they film um you can Sunnydale. check me on this, but I think they film on the sound stages owned by Tyler Perry. And Sunnydale is is pretty far away from uh, this is in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then, uh, okay. but you see them do location shoots sometimes, like when they go driving into the country and things like that. And that's all being shot kind of in and around Atlanta. So, because we look enough like Georgia, looks enough like Virginia, I guess, especially because they're not supposed to be. Coastal Virginia. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, North Carolina I mean, stood yeah, in for um, 
it's not the first show that's... Oh, where was Dawson's on, Creek uh, supposed actually, to be? be Maine? Maine? Uh, Homeland was another show that was on this year that Dawson's Creek was supposed to be somewhere in New England, but it actually filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Massachusetts. Okay. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of things happening in uh, being filmed in Georgia. And a lot of it does come down to the fact that Tyler Perry has built the, the studios um, there's also a lot of animation done in Georgia now for some reason. Uh, and next time you watch Archer, you'll see the Peach logo at the end of Archer. Archer is produced in Georgia. So, well, stick around to the very end and you'll see a little Peach. Uh, <laughs> no, so, you know, uh, we're happy to have the Vampire Diaries people here in Georgia. Um, so, well... I think overall, the thing on the Vampire Diaries for me is is that it's very much, it's, if you wanted to compare it to books, let's say, The Wire is literature, right? The Wire is the kind of thing that's going to get reviewed by the New York Times review of books. It's the kind of thing that's going to win a Pulitzer, that kind of thing. Vampire Diaries is genre fiction through and through, and... There's nothing wrong with that. It's a different audience. It's a different target. It's a different goal, but it can still be very enjoyable. And I think for what they're trying to do within the confines of a certain type of genre, they're executing it extremely well. Yeah. And can I br- just pull up a nitpick that <laughs> I have that I I got from listening to uh, part of the podcast from last time where we were setting up the Vampire Diaries talk, I think, that uh, I never got around to editing because it was it went on for so long and I was so drunk while we were recording that it was embarrassing. Um, well, not necessarily yeah, because, like, genre, I mean, I would call uh, uh, cop shows or a kind of genre and sci-fi or fantasy. Um, detective shows are a genre. Genre TV is is about is a sci-fi or fantasy oh, yeah. genre. It's not that it's I I I I agree with that. But there is well, see a again coming from, for a lot of coming from a, a library world that genre um, specifically refers to and this is more true in public libraries than genre, in an academic library like where i work but in a public library a lot of times the collection will even be divided you'll have something that's called or anything else. fiction and then you'll have another area that's called genre fiction and the genre fiction can include mystery romance science fiction fantasy horror you know all those kinds of labels um, and it's a bit, a lot of times librarians sort of, and I'm sure this is true for authors and publishers and all sorts of people as well, kind of bristle against that. It's like, well, you know, what's the difference between, uh, you know, a really, um, why is Wuthering Heights? Why? Why is historical fiction or 
uh, right. Well, um, uh, or, or like being, there was a book that I absolutely uh, loved um, that I got really irate the, about it. Wrote on Goodreads that if the character had been male, if the lead character had been male and the author had been male, it would never have been called Chicklet. It would have just been called Fiction. And um, because it was about a young woman who was sort of burning out in her law career in Manhattan and was coming through and was dealing with a difficult relationship with her father and also dealing with an engagement that she wasn't sure she wanted to pursue. And the engagement wasn't the, I mean, cause to me, a romance is that's the point of the story is girl meets boy fall in love. How do you resolve that? Right. Whereas this was all those other things. And yet, because it was written by a woman about a woman, it got labeled chiclet. And I find that very distressing. But I mean, like, to just... Exactly. <laughs> a little bit. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, like, Wuthering Heights is not categorized in romance. It's categorized in fiction. It's totally so a romance. That's, a sign of that's our, the whole point of Wuthering Heights, right? Society. I don't. So it's old, right? I mean, Pride and Prejudice would be chiclet if it was published today. And anyway, so we're getting very far off topic there. But um, I don't use genre um, pejoratively, and I certainly old, don't classic, use it that so way it's... in referring to the Vampire Diaries. But. Definitely. Mm. No, see, I. But I the the use I'm speaking of, mm -hmm. I don't even think it is pejorative. I just think it's it, it's as much with people who are fans of those genres. To use genre to, uh, to stand to, uh, in for science fiction slash fantasy, their, their particular one. Hmm. Yeah, see, I, from, I guess so coming I from the book world, to me, genre has a broader definition, blame, uh, and it basically Maureen means anything that ain't that serious. <laughs> in, her, uh, in her writing. Yes. Uh, so, well, I'm glad you didn't hate it. It wasn't three hours of your life down the drain. Right, as it, as it should, as it should, it it's just a descriptive word of what it can be, that there is a genre to it. Uh, oh, would you like a little bit of trivia As if I you said, haven't already discovered it? Show I'm going to keep on my Netflix uh, The kid that plays Jeremy Gilbert dip in and out of when is Stephen R. McQueen, and, and, and uh, he is Steve McQueen's grandson. Uh, dramatic. <laughs> Isn't <watch>. it? <laughs> Uh, and you can, I, I wrote in my notes for episode, the third episode we watched that you could totally tell that he's from California because he said stone and bogus. <laughs> I was like, kid, you're, you're in Virginia. They don't say bogus in Virginia. <laughs> well, and it was really funny because it came in the same episode where, um, <laughs> Uh, Damon was talking about Mason and he said something like uh, he's worse than a werewolf he's also a Maybe surfer. Maybe they watched a lot of Bill and Ted. Something <laughs> strange is afoot. And so I was like 
we've got him bagging on surfers, and then McQueen completely sounds like a, a surfer. Um, I'm trying to think what else is what else I've got in here to talk about. Um, <laughs> I think that's most of what I had to say. Um, I think we hit the high points. Uh, it's not the kind of dig real deep show like The Wire is, but there are still things to talk about, and I think we've covered them. Now we have to find out what uh, Dan's going to make us watch. I'm... Well, please, God, don't let it be anime. I, I don't watch a whole whole lot of animation in uh, general, got a lot of and I'm not sure it's I can take anime, so we'll find out. Yes, and hopefully it'll be something weird and uh, and different.